Let us turn to 2 Timothy, please, chapter 1. 2 Timothy, chapter 1. Verse 12. For the which cause I suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. And I am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed unto thee keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Now I decided that I would devote the message this evening to a little more detailed consideration of what is involved in the Pennsylvania conflict. And the more you study this Resolution 160, which we're calling upon the legislature to repeal, the more you consider the issues that are involved in it from a historical standpoint, the more you realize how how directly the, the assault has been upon the great ideals that uh, William Penn had and that those of us who are Christians do have. And this Resolution 160 constitutes a direct assault upon these great ideals. And uh, I've been looking back into the activities of William Penn and then, of course, back into the whole ministry of the Puritans themselves. But William Penn, of course, came rather late. He was born in 1644, and he died in 1718. So he was a part of the 17th century, and he did go into the 18th century. And the great battle for Puritanism had been fought long before that. But as a Quaker, he was considered to be a Puritan, and he was, and a Protestant. And he stood for uh, the great things that the Puritans had stood for in their opposition to bishops and to political authority and to the uh, uh, intermeanery activities of priests on behalf of those of us who uh, have the right to go directly to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But as I indicated to you this morning, William Penn was a real Protestant. And let me just go back down some of these things that indicate where he stood and how he, how he uh, insisted on the great matters that concern our faith. But as you read this account of his activities, you find that the very things, the very expressions, the very words almost that are in this Resolution 160 are used in connection with him. For instance, uh, uh, we're told his first book that he wrote was Truth Exalted. And this account here in the Encyclopedia Britannica, which I'm reading from, said, Truth exalted was violent and aggressive in the extreme. The same offensive personality is shown in The Guide Mistaken, a tract written to answer John Calfan's Guide to a True Religion. And then I reported to you that when he was put in the towers and he was in prison, of course, several times for his faith and his opinions, he uh, wrote the book in his own defense against the implications uh, or the imputations upon his opinions and his good citizenship. Now, they questioned his opinions and questioned his right to be a responsible citizen. And the name of that book was Innocency with Her Open Face. Innocency with Her Open Face. And in this book he asserts his full belief in the divinity of Christ, the atonement and justification by faith. 
It is now that he published his most important book, No Cross, No Crown, which contain an able defense of the Quaker doctrines and practices and a scathing attack on the loose and unchristian lives of the clergy. So he focused his attention upon the loose, the unchristian living of the clergy, and he uh, said, no cross and no crown. And uh, then we find that these other books that he was writing, uh, for instance, his book on seasonable caveret against popery, January 1671, he defended religious freedom and toleration. And then in his later book, February 1671, the great case of liberty of conscience, he made a defense of complete toleration of religion on the part of the political powers. Now all of this is very, very relevant and certainly pertinent to what is happening at the present time. We're told, by the way, that the young lady whom he married in uh, 1672, uh, Miss uh, Spriggett, appears to have been equally remarkable for beauty, devotion to her husband, and firmness to the religious principles which she had adopted when little more than a child. And then we're told that he continued to write and he gave himself up to controversial writings. Controversial writings. And among these controversial writings was a discourse on the general rule of faith and practice, which is the Bible. And then another in which he dealt with counterfeit Christianity detected. And this was primarily a treatise against the papacy, against the Roman Catholic practices. And then we come down to his uh, charter and his plans for the development of the colony here in this new world. And he insisted that there be included, quote, the new principle of perfect religious freedom, which must stand in the first place. In other words, the first thing that William Penn intended to protect and preserve in the colony which he came to establish here in Pennsylvania, the first thing was perfect religious freedom. In 1867, uh, he dealt again with what he called the Popish Terror. And he wrote an address to Protestants of all persuasions by William Penn, a Protestant. A powerful exposition of doctrine of pure tolerance and a protest against the enforcements of opinions, opinions of the hierarchy, opinions of the priest, opinions of the church, as articles of faith. Now, when I look at this Resolution 160, the very elements that I find here are in that resolution. And in regard to his establishment of the state of Pennsylvania, we're told the idea which the idea which informs this law that Pennsylvania was that he was establishing was that the state would be a Christian state on a Quaker model. By the way, this story says that when he visited the New World for the first time, the little boat on which he was traveling stopped for the first time down at Newcastle, Delaware, and one-third of all the passengers on that boat died of smallpox as he came to this New World for the first time. 
and the boat landed down here at Newcastle. Then he came up the Delaware and landed here at what is now Chester, and he gave the name of Chester to the city of Chester. But the main and primary motivation of William Penn in establishing his colony was that they would have religious freedom and religious toleration. And he was opposed to any connection with the throne of England or what we would call establishment whereby the throne would appoint or approve of the clergy or of the ministers. And William Penn himself was a minister. He was a clergyman. His whole life was giving to preaching the gospel, missionary journeys to Holland, missionary journeys to Ireland. And when he came over here to this world, and it is said, of course, that the finest possible relations he established with the Indians. And nobody in the New World had any better relations with the Indians than did William Penn. And he was a man who came to this new world in order to lay out the groundwork here of a colony in which there would be full and perfect religious toleration and freedom from any political interference, political direction, political appointment, or political authority. And that was William Penn. And may I say that that concept is a million miles away from what the Democratic Party in the control of the legislature did last December 17th when they adopted Resolution 160 and proceeded to attack your pastor, get into his record as a minister, proceeded to name the American Council of Christian Churches and defame the thing, and then proceeded to defend the National Council of Churches and assert that we had been guilty of making vicious attacks upon it. And what we want to do now is to get through as quickly as we can to as many of the people of the state of Pennsylvania with the ideas that what has now come to pass in the political assembly of that great state is in direct violation of the very ideals upon which William Penn came and established this colony. And this attack has given us the opportunity now to remind all of us of our heritage. And tomorrow, or rather Tuesday, we're going into this whole question. William Penn had quite a bit to do here with New Jersey and West Jersey. And we're going into some of this early history as to how this was actually shaped up. And it was this concept of a new world in which there would be freedom from the persecutions and freedom from the imprisonments and freedom from the power of the state or the king or the queen over the affairs that related to the matters of a man's faith and his ecclesiastical relationships. Now, I said I was going to connect this up with Puritanism. Of course, William Penn comes a little later, but he, stand, he stood for the same things that the Puritans stood for in these great ideals. And I told you this morning that I have three books now that I want to get and start distributing them. The first one, which we're going to start using in the Christian Beacon this week, we're going to start printing it in serial form, is a short history of Puritanism. A short history of Puritan. The book's long since out of print. But I have a copy here. And we can photographically reproduce it and use it in the columns of the Christian Beacon. And as I indicated, one reason I'm so interested in the book is that this was actually prepared and written at the uh, instigation of the Presbyterian Church in North Ireland. The preparation of this book was undertaken at the request of the Board of Management of the Young People's Guild of the Irish Presbyterian Church and with the express sanction of the General Assembly. And it's this General Assembly that Mr. Eon Paisley was out there having a demonstration against when he was accused of an unlawful assemblage. And it was the moderator of this General Assembly and the leaders of this General Assembly who are a part of the World Council of Churches who went over to the Prime Minister to insist that he do something about Paisley. 
And so they arranged to have Paisley put in jail for three months. And so I'm especially anxious to get this into print so our Irish friends and everybody else all over the world can read the story of Puritanism and the things for which real Puritanism has stood. Now it's very significant that in this little book of some 200 odd pages, after the brief introduction which we have, we have a story here on the origin of the name Puritan. And it's like any of these other names. It came as a name of opprobrium and uh, scandal and a name that uh, was supposed to be a stigma of some sort. But these people were opposed to the corruption. They wanted purity in doctrine. They wanted absolute loyalty to the Holy Scriptures and everything had to be tested by the Holy Scriptures. And the Holy Scriptures would be the only basis of any appeal. They wanted purity in the church. They wanted good discipline exercised in the church so that the doctrines could be maintained. And then they wanted purity in their own conduct. And they had purity of doctrine, purity of ecclesiastical relations, purity in their own conduct, and then, of course, they were very much opposed to the authority of the state in relationship to ecclesiastical matters. Now, I was interested to note that uh, we usually think of the Puritan period, the 16th century, uh, that in this study of the Puritans, the authors of this book went back to what they call medieval Puritans. Medieval Puritans. And they named two of the very famous names that have stood out. And I want to give them to you. Marsiglio, Marsiglio of Pardua. He was born in 1270. And he comes from France, as you can see, from Paris. And in 1324, he produced a document and called the, the, the Advocate of Peace. And in this, he uh, took issue with Pope John the 22nd, not the 23rd. And he developed the general ideas that... Uh, the Bible alone is to be the guide and the only guide for the people of God. He advanced the same ideas of reform that later we find in Wycliffe and Huss and then the reform leaders of the 16th century. And the first principle was that the canonical scriptures are the sole authority and that they alone are infallible. And this is the beginning, beloved, of this whole concept that your faith and your life and your relationships to God all are to be determined by the Holy Scriptures. This is the beginning, as we found in these medieval days. Now the second uh, leader of this time, of course, is John Wycliffe. And John Wycliffe's ideas were very similar to the ones I've just given you. But the little summary that's contained in this short history is very, very interesting. He declared the Bible to be the supreme and sole standard of truth and law. It's always the sole standard, the Bible. He affirmed a direct relation between God and man through Christ, the only mediator. And that no creature can have merit in any way by his good works. He renounced the dogma of transubstantiation in the Mass. He gave a spiritual view of the Lord's Supper. He advocated the right of private judgment. He swept away the whole system of sacerdotalism. That's all the forms and the ritual or a mediating, sacrificing priesthood, the foundation on which the medieval church had been based. And he laid stress on the priesthood of all believers. 
He taught with special emphasis the doctrines of predestination and election. By the ordinance of Christ, he said, priests and bishops were all one. No difference between the priest and a bishop or an elder or anybody else. Prelates he described as tormentors of the church, unknown in the early days and needless in the later times. There were six superfluous orders among the clergy, he said, the twelve daughters of the horse-leash certain ever, Satan ever crying, Give, 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 namely popes, cardinals, bishops, archdeacons, officials, deacons, rectors, priests, monks, friars, doorkeepers, and questors. Already in the 14th century, he was substantially at one with the great Elizabethan Puritans of the 16th century. And beloved, when I get into this whole concept of Puritanism and what the Puritans stood for, all they have done is to go back to the Bible and the Bible alone and take the scriptures as the only infallible rule of faith and practice and then out of the scriptures develop the doctrines as they have been given to us by God they then confess them and sought to order their lives their government and their social relations by this now when I show you this connection here's William Penn here's the medieval Puritans and we'll get into some of the story of the Puritans struggling in England in which Bloody Mary put to the stake some 300 of them just like that and the awful persecutions that these Protestants and these Puritans endured in Great Britain especially in England beloved I want you to see that what they believed are identically the same things that we believe today our position is identically the same in regard to Scripture, in regard to the priesthood of the believer, in regard to our responsibility to God, in regard to His sovereignty and His power. There's no difference. And I also want to point out to you people listening to Carl McIntyre tonight that it is more than significant, far more than significant, that in 1967, the Presbyterian Church in this country, the United Presbyterian Church, is doing away with the first and primary cardinal principle of the Puritans, the infallibility of the Bible as their sole rule of faith and practice. And you can't begin to comprehend the historic significance of what's happening in our present day Presbyterian and our Protestant world in laying aside the Bible as your only infallible rule of faith and practice. When you do that, you have turned away from the great succession of this dream which has given us the liberty which belongs to us in Christ in that we're freed from political and ecclesiastical domination and we go directly to our God as our own priest taking to him the confession of our sins and the Lord Jesus Christ alone is the only mediator between God and man. And may I say to you people tonight, we have a magnificent heritage. We have a glorious history. But how long does it take a people to forget their history? One generation. All you need to do is to have one generation of infants born into the world. And take away from those infants. Don't teach them. Don't give them the knowledge. Don't instruct them in the truth concerning the price that was paid to develop the freedom which we have and which William Penn himself came to give us. And our responsibility and your responsibility in our day is to see that our children and our grandchildren understand these things. And that they can see this succession in history as it moved back down through the centuries. And finally as it came into this new world, these Puritans came over here. And it was primarily the Puritan emphasis. Just think of William Penn, beloved. He wasn't interested in having a king or a queen appoint him to be a prelate or a priest. He repudiated this sort of thing. 
He wasn't interested in establishing a colony over here where the crown in Great Britain would have some sort of uh, care or supervision over his churches. He wasn't interested in it at all. Now, I don't have the time tonight to go into all the details of this struggle, but I wished I could. But as the struggle developed and you had your Anglicans with their bishops and they still have them and you still have the established church in England, but the things for which William Penn stood and the things for which these Puritans stood was against that. They were the ones that developed the Presbyterian concept, the reform concept in these areas. And they were the ones who said there had to be equality among the clergy and among the clergymen. And they were the ones who put the authority of the church, not in bishop, but they put it in the Presbyterian and in the congregations and in the people themselves. And this whole struggle took place in England, ladies and gentlemen, and in Great Britain in these great struggles between the various kings and the various rulers that arose and fell and as the Roman Catholic Church lost its place in England and the Roman Catholic Church actually virtually had to retire from Great Britain. And what did we have in this new world? A Protestant America. The Roman Catholics settled in Baltimore and two or three other places, but the Carolinas and Massachusetts and Rhode Island and Connecticut, just look at your history. And they were men fleeing the old world. Not for money, not for fame, not for power, but that they might have a land in which there would be the freedom to serve and to worship their God. And that has been our precious heritage in this great land of ours. My, if William Penn could just turn over in his grave tonight. And what interests me is that you go up to Harrisburg, as we're all going to be going up there now, and they've just got William Penn everywhere you look. Got a great big museum to him. Tremendous monument to him. And you go look at it and they show you the spinning wheels and the way they lived and the kind of chairs they sat in and they got the art on the wall. And they've got everything in the world up there about William Penn except what I'm talking about tonight. If it's up there, I wish you'd show it to me. Well, they've got one display up there that would lead you to think that William Penn was one of the founders of the United Nations. All you have to do is look at it. It's on the wall. They lead you to think that what has now developed in the Pennsylvania is a direct outgrowth of what William Penn stood for. And beloved, I have never realized quite so clearly how men today can twist around what our fathers stood for and make it support what they want today. That's what's going on. I've gone through that William Penn Museum several times now looking for something like this. And I can't find it. And if anybody can find me anything in the William Penn Museum in Harrisburg that tells about William Penn's Puritanism and that tells about William Penn's position and what I'm telling you right now, would you kindly give it to me and show me where it is? And I'll be glad to announce that it's up there so you can see it. But I want to tell you, if I'd been on the committee or had anything to do with establishing that museum, when you walked in the front of the building and you see this tremendous statue there of William Penn, I'd have had a great big mural on the wall in behalf of religious freedom. That's what I'd have had on that wall. Because that's what he started the colony for. But I can't find anything like that up there. Now they promised to have it open for us on the 424th and you folks can go around and see if you can find anything. And I'm just hoping somebody can dig up something somewhere. But we've got a great way, ladies and gentlemen, of building the tombs of the prophets. But when we build them a couple of hundred years after they were here, we make them mean something different than what the prophets themselves said in the day of their lives. I must confess I've been looking at Billy Penn's uh, statue on top of the city hall over there all these years. 
And it's only since Resolution 160 that I've come to appreciate him a little more. Actually, I think Resolution 160 is a pretty good thing. Of course, it's a terrible resolution, but it's, it's helped me get informed, and it's going to help you get informed. And when we get through on Tuesday with seven and a half hours of broadcasting, William Penn's going to come down and shake our hands. He's going to do something because we're going to stand up for the things that William Penn has stood for. Let's think of this man believing in these glorious ideas that the Bible is the infallible word of God. And I'm trying to tell people everywhere that William Penn was a fundamentalist. He never heard of the Revised Standard Version of the Bible. Never knew anything like that. He, he believed this book. And back in those days, he was a Quaker, and he had some ideas, and then here were the Presbyterians, they had some ideas that differed with him in some particulars, and then here were the Baptists, and he had a big argument with a man by the name of Hicks, who was a Baptist, and then he had a discussion with Baxter, who was a Presbyterian, you know, and they argued around about those things, but their arguments were back and forth on these matters, and they wanted religious toleration so they could have all the differences they wanted to have. And it was in that sort of an atmosphere that this new world was developed. And it was out of that atmosphere that these colonies, these 13 colonies, wouldn't ratify that constitution until they submitted those amendments. And when they submitted those amendments, the, the first 10 amendments, the very first amendment of all the 10 had to do with this matter of religion. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. That wasn't Amendment 5. That wasn't Amendment 7. That wasn't Amendment 9. That was Amendment 1. The first thing that these colonies were thinking about, ladies and gentlemen, the first thing in their hearts as they looked at their land and their fields and their cattle and the struggles and the Indians and the problems they had, the first thing they wanted above everything else was a guarantee that on this continent, in this new world, there would never be another Bloody Mary who would send Latimer and Cranmer and Ridley and 300 of the Protestant leaders to the stake to burn them again. That's what they wanted. And they were right. This Resolution 160, beloved, has in it all these things. Let me just read again to you these things. The more I read it, the more abominable the thing becomes. And whether you like it or not, it's going to go down in the history of the state of Pennsylvania in these matters of religious toleration. No man will ever be able to talk about the history of the state or write the state's history without dealing with this resolution. And then the consequences that it has stirred in the state of Pennsylvania. But you know why our people today aren't interested in religious toleration? Because they're not interested in religion at all. They're not interested in religious freedom. They're interested in having a good time. Eat, drink, and be merry. My, we're lovers of pleasure. We've just got comforts and we've got everything you can ask for today. And we're just not interested in going to these things that have to do with religion. So if we're not interested in religion, why worry about religious freedom anyhow? And that's getting to be the complex in the thinking of many, many people. And consequently, my appeal in the state of Pennsylvania and my appeal across the nation as I deal with these issues takes hold not in the hearts of the irreligious people, but it takes hold in the hearts of those who are most devout and who realize what's at stake. And those who left England, why, William Penn was a devout man. He lived a very, very... Uh, clean and a separated life as we would call it he was a man of the very highest kind of character and one of the things that rejoices my heart when you read these stories and I want you people to read it is that they say that this puritanism 
This Puritanism produced responsible individuals. This Puritanism produced men of character. This Puritanism produced men who had strong moral convictions. And it did. It does. And that's where it comes from. Out of this book, out of the gospel, and out of the doctrine of the apostles. That's where it came from. Well, this resolution 160, just listen to this. The views which the Reverend McIntyre expounds are those which we now equate with the word extremism. The danger of such views to our country is self-evident. It's views they're attacking. It's the position we maintain that they're seeking to discredit. And then they say Dr. McIntyre built his own church federation, the American Council of Christian Churches. Reverend McIntyre immediately began vicious attacks on the National Council of Churches and has continuously exhorted the political and economic views of the radical right. Beloved, I want to get back if we can, whether we'll have time or not. If I could have someone just do a little research for us, I'd love to go back and get some of these decrees and some of these statements that were issued by the king and by the queen, especially Mary and a few of them. Get the actual terminology of it and see how it would correspond to this sort of thing. Now, I have taken a very clear and strong stand on this issue. And I have done it for three reasons. The first reason is that what they have done is absolutely contrary to our understanding of the Christian religion. And it's wrong. The second thing they have done is that they have transgressed the history and the heritage which is ours in this free country. The third reason is that what they have done is just the beginning of an expanded approach in this area to deal with men and churches like ourselves. Three reasons... And beloved, if we want to preserve what God has given us in this country, when the political leaders arise in their ignorance and in their intolerance and in their materialism or whatever their ideas are, and transgress these mighty principles, the time for the Christian church in whatever leadership God has given it has come to rise up and oppose it and fight it. Or does America need nothing to us anymore? Don't we care anymore? Doesn't anybody seem to be interested anymore? There's all this history and all this suffering and all that these men did is all that William Penn represent. Is it nothing to us anymore? I'm afraid it's becoming that way. I'm afraid it's becoming that way. And I've discovered that I'm at a great handicap in dealing with these things. You have to go out and tell people what they're supposed to stand for before you can tell them what they're going to stand. It's the most amazing thing. You can't build anymore on any assumption that that people understand these things. Are they teaching these things in the high schools and in the grades of the state of Pennsylvania about William Penn? Why, if they did, it would be bigotry. Be terrible intolerance. My, my, they wouldn't dare teach this anymore. And consequently, you've got a whole generation rising up in our schools and in our homes and in our families in which the most important possession we have, our religious freedom, is just simply washed out. Nobody has any understanding of it. And then when the politicians do this, they say, well, that fellow over there in Conway, he's kind of bad anyhow. Maybe it's not so bad. And we have to go and first persuade you as to the truth of what the Bible teaches and as to the glorious history which we've had before you understand you should stand up for it. 
You've got to understand these things first. Nobody can stand up for the faith until he first knows what it is. And we have a problem of informing and educating. That's why we need our schools and we need our Christian schools and we need our colleges and we need everything we have so we can at least inform our children and our families and keep them abreast of what our heritage is and how this thing is being desecrated and laid aside by the political leaders at the present time. And so the best way to deal with this is to just go out and preach the word and preach the gospel. And we all know that the Bible's first and the Bible's final. We all know that there's one priesthood and it's the priesthood of the believers. We all go to Christ directly. We all know that we don't want to have the bishops and the prelates related to the crown or the king or the president or anybody else. We all know these things. We've been taught them. And now that we see that they're being transgressed by the state of Pennsylvania intervening, political power, political leaders, a political power intervening in this particular area we begin to see it and now it's the time in God's good providence for us to say Lord you've permitted it to happen now let us rise and let the whole nation and the whole world know that we repudiate this activity on the part of any political leaders of any party in any assembly in any state in the United States of America Let us pray. O Lord our God, we thank Thee for the Puritans. We thank Thee for William Penn. We thank Thee for what these great men did in generations past. Oh, we praise Thee that they stood and that we stand today as their successors and that we are seeking to maintain the glorious concepts of freedom under God which they understood and they understood it O Lord because they'd suffered so O Lord thou knowest how many times William Penn was in London Towers how many times he was thrown into that prison to stay there because of the queen because of the king because of his opinions his beliefs Lord, we see our political leaders not putting us into the prisons yet, but they're openly telling the country that our ideas are dangerous, seeking to stigmatize us so that they can advance their own political interests and their own political causes. Lord, it isn't right. The centuries have demonstrated, O oh Lord, the glorious liberty which thou dost want us to possess. And now as we see these things, Lord, somehow... In thy providence, in thy way, O Lord, wilt thou enable us to stand and may the people gather on the 24th in great numbers because we love this liberty. For Christ's sake, amen. Now the other two books that I'm going to get a hold of if I can. One is Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. Ian Paisley and his two brethren are in jail in, in North Ireland. And I can assure you that when these men get out of jail on the 20th of October, there's going to be a tremendous reaction. And it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't put them back in jail again. This is started. And one of the finest ways to help these men in Great Britain keep their freedom, their civil liberty is for us to have a tremendous crowd in Harrisburg and then send message to the Queen, which we're going to do. Beloved, let me appeal to you tonight. You know, it's very, very distressing when a minister preaches and pours his soul out and that's what I've been doing these weeks, just giving everything I had to go around and see people. Well, I don't know. Maybe I'll go. Maybe I'll go. I feel like taking him by the neck of the neck and say, wake up, wake up. You've been eating some kind of a pill that's put you to sleep. That's right. Wake up, folks. No, it's not a question whether you're going to go. The question is just how many people are you going to take with you? Not a question whether I'm going to go or not. The question is how many am I going to get to go? 
Folks, do you realize the next two weeks you're going to have one of the greatest opportunities you ever had to witness to your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? A marvelous opportunity to witness, to talk to people. Are you going to go to Harrisburg? No. Well, you better go. Look what's going on. And then you have a chance to talk to people and inform them. They're ignorant. They're ignorant, ladies and gentlemen. Beloved, the people are all about us. They just don't know these things. And we must take the opportunity now to inform the people of some of these things. And you people listening to me, and I'll be announcing it tomorrow, I want everybody in this area to get on the telephone, those of you at home tomorrow. And after I go off the air tomorrow morning, I wish some of you folks would just take the telephone book of Collingswood and call up every telephone in Collingswood tomorrow and say there's going to be a marathon on Tuesday at 10.30. Dr. McIntyre and quite a few men are going to be on. They're going to have long-distance calls. They're going to have open mic. They're going to talk about William Penn. They're going to deal with these groups in Philadelphia that are trying to destroy radio station WXUR. Dr. McIntyre is going to talk about the Jews. What's the Christian attitude toward them? I'm going to get, we're going to have a tremendous full day program. And you ought to tune it in. And I wish in every community this radio station WXUR lays down a blanket throughout all this area. And I wish that in every single town where that broadcast goes tomorrow. That some of the women will say I'm going to take the telephone book. And you'll say Mrs. Jones yes this is Mrs. Smith. Uh, had you heard about the marathon for freedom tomorrow? No, no. What is it? Well, on WXUR, they're going to have a full day just of broadcasting about the freedom that's ours. We'd like to invite you to listen. And the, the, the location is uh, 690, 690, and it'll start at 1030. And thank you for listening. If you have some chance, tell your neighbors about it too. It's a marathon for freedom, and it's about the Democrats. It's about the uh, House of Representatives. Uh, you ought to tune in tomorrow. Could we do it? Could we do it? Could we just take time and see what would happen? Well, I wish I could get an organization set up that would do that sort of thing. But you just have to depend on the people doing it themselves. Just, just doing it themselves. How much pressure do you think it took to make William Penn decide that he'd leave England, start a colony? And when you read the story of the history, the poor man had nothing but headaches. Nothing but headaches. Had a big fight with Lord Baltimore down here over the boundary line. Then they had another big fight about the boundary line up between them and New York City. And when you think about the problems that those poor men had coming over here, they had all these different groups coming in here and starting out with nothing. Imagine the city of Philadelphia having 300 houses in it, 250 or 2,500 people in it after a short time. And all the problem of building houses out of nothing. Oh, the problems these men had and the headaches they had and the problems they had of getting their government set up and their, their little groups organized. But one thing you can say about it, they had local self-government. That's what they had. And William Penn had the colony and gave them a constitution. And William Penn let them run their own affairs, which they did on a local basis. And all the Dutch came over and settled Germantown. And then they moved out into Pennsylvania. And then the Jews came to the Pennsylvania colony because they knew that here William Penn would see that they weren't persecuted and that they would have religious freedom in the state of Pennsylvania. Imagine that. All right, let's sing a closing hymn and then all of us get busy. Hymn number 316.